Oops. Okay. Good morning. Nice to be here, and I'm glad to see all of you here today. We're going to get into the Word of God. Uh, just a little disclaimer this morning. Uh, this might be a little bit, uh, I don't want to say longer, but going to be a lot of Scripture. So hang in there if you need to run and get a coffee to stay awake. But uh, we're going to follow Elijah. But let's pray. Father, we are amazed at the way in which you enter into lives of men and women. You fill them with your Spirit. And filled with the Spirit, we can do great things on your behalf. But Father, we are your servants and so we come as servants today, and we pray that as we look at another servant in the past, that we would learn from him, and that we would be encouraged in the Lord. Father, this is your work, and so we pray that you would fill us and give us the joy of the Lord. We thank you for this. We thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here today. Bless them. Use us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout the Old Testament, we see a kind of a confusing trend of idol worship among the Israelites. They especially struggled with the worship of the false gods around them. Baal and Asherah in particular. God had commanded them not to worship idols. And he'd also commanded them not to intermarry with the people around them. These pagan nations in opposition to Israel because Israel was chosen, chosen by God to be his own. But they continually struggled with obedience and in particular the worship of idols. So Baal that you heard about in the reading was the supreme male deity uh, that was worshipped by ancient Phoenicians and Canaanites and then there was Asherah and she was the moon goddess the principal female deity worshipped by those people so these false gods seduced the people of God away from him away from the Lord that had delivered them from Egypt. They had been in bondage. He delivered them, but then they refused his warnings about these false gods. And in particular, I always think of the book of Judges. And uh, if, you, if you read the book of Judges, 
they're just riding the roller coaster. Down they go, and they do their own thing, and then things go bad, and they cry unto the Lord, and the Lord delivers them, and they come back again, and then they start to do their own thing, and times get bad, and they cry unto the Lord, and he delivers them, and it's just that whole situation. But here, there's a couple of reasons why these two particular false gods were such an attraction for Israel. First of all, the worship of Baal and Asherah held the allure of illicit sex because these religions involved ritual prostitution. And so there was an attraction there. And then a second reason was Israel wanted to be like the nations around them. Does that sound familiar? They wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to be like the world. So those nations worshipped Baal and Asherah, and the Israelites were tempted to do the same. But the sacrifices that were made to those false gods were really sacrifices to demons. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church that very thing. In 1 Corinthians 10.20, he said, what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. This is serious stuff. Israel repeatedly set aside God's commands and they chased after those idols even though they would lose God's blessing and they would suffer spiritual destruction when they did it. So they were trapped in a vicious cycle of idol worship. Then they would have discipline. They would confess their sin. The Lord would restore them and they'd be forgiven and then they would repeat the cycle over and over again. It's amazing, God's patience, by human standards, unfathomable. You know, we get upset with people, you know, when they do something wrong, and I don't want to talk to him anymore. And the Lord, he's so patient, just on and on. And the same thing with God's love. God's love is long-suffering. We've experienced that. So he always gives his children numerous opportunities to repent and come back to him. And we might be tempted to be hard on the Israelites. When we see their behavior, but you know, remember, Idolatry can take all kind of forms. It's not just these false gods. We can be seduced by possessions. We can be seduced by success, by physical pleasure, or by religious rituals. So our, our idolatry can be just as dishonoring to God as theirs was. So God disciplined them when they went after the idols. 
And when they returned and repented, he would bless them. So last week we saw uh, the Lord's discipline as he declared there wouldn't be any dew or any rain until he said so. And that's exactly what happened. So with that introduction, let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18. The first two verses, 1 Kings 18, 1 and 2. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. So the chapter begins as the word of the Lord comes to Elijah again, and it says, after many days. It's been probably two and a half years that Elijah has enjoyed a period of relative tranquility. You remember he had gone over to the brook Cherith. It ran out of water. And the Lord sent him up to Zarephath. And there was a widow there. And she fed him. She gave him a drink. And they were enjoying food, again it says, for many days. And so he was there and it was tranquil time. He's with the Lord. But there hadn't been a drop of rain during this time according to the word of the Lord. Here comes this word again. Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. There's been no water. Everybody's suffering. Well, back at the palace, King Ahab has called Obadiah, the steward of his house. And he's talked to him, and he said, you know, we got to do something because there's no rain. So he said, let's go out. We'll split up, and we're going to go out, and we're going to look for water, and we're going to look for pasture for our animals. So the king and Obadiah head out. Now Obadiah is a man who loves the Lord, and yet he's in the palace. That place of idolatry, the place where Ahab and Jezebel are, so wherever those people are, the Lord always has his people, and he places them in those places. So Obadiah goes out. He has risked his life in the past protecting the prophets of God. When Jezebel started to kill them all, she was murdering the prophets of God. He protected them, but he's searching on behalf of the king when he meets Elijah. Verses 7 and 8. And as Obadiah was on, his, on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. 
<laughs> Obadiah is supposed to go and tell the king, Elijah's here. He's got a pretty strong response to this. I'll give you my loose paraphrase of how he responded to Elijah. He basically said, what, are you nuts? I'm going to go and tell the king that you're here. I know what's going to happen. The Spirit of God is going to grab you and take you away. When I tell him that you're here, you're going to be gone. King's going to be mad, and he's going to kill me. I'm not up for that. But Elijah tells him that's not going to happen. Down to verse 15. Verses 15 and 16, Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab, and he told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. So Elijah promises him he's going to go and meet the king that very day. So Obadiah goes, tells the king, Elijah's in the area. And then he meets Ahab. Verses 17 to 19. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Is that a good way to start a meeting? Is that you, you troubler of Israel? <laughs> a lot of translations use the word troublemaker. One of them says, there you are, the biggest troublemaker in Israel. Well, Elijah sets him straight. I haven't, I haven't uh, troubled Israel. You have. And your father's house. Because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord. You're supposed to be a king under God. And you saw that chart last week. Every single one of them was bad. And Ahab was the worst. But you know, when it comes to this kind of thing, anybody who is in the Lord, if you are in the Lord, you can boldly be confident before evil forces, that the Lord is on your side. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So Elijah tells him, you might be the king, but you're the troublemaker. You're the one who's causing disaster in Israel because you've abandoned God's law, you've worshipped these false gods, and I'm here to tell you the truth. So he's laying it on the line. He demonstrates his faith in the Lord. 
and he calls for a showdown. Let's get together, get all the people of Israel, get those false prophets, and we're going to meet together on Mount Carmel, and we're going to find out whose God is real. So he makes it clear who's behind the idolatry here. It's Jezebel. These false prophets eat at her table. She's really the force behind this. She's a woman who is bad, bad to the bone. So Ahab sent all the people, verses 20 and 21, Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. He's got quite a crowd here. He's got people from all over Israel, along with the false prophets. And he starts with the challenge. How long are you going to limp between these two opinions? The idea of limping here is, is going along on two crutches. And that's really what they're doing. They're limping along on the two crutches of Baal and Asherah. So he challenges them. And then in verse 21, he gets right up in their face. And he challenges them. Stop waffling. Choose. Choose who you're going to serve. If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal is God... Follow him. And really, he's just calling them out. What's their response? They didn't answer a word. <laughs> Silence. How come? They're scared. I believe that Elijah's got fire in his eyes. He knows. He knows the Lord is on his side. And he's challenging them to this contest. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. And let them choose one bow for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Well, first of all here, he's talking to the folks. He's talking to the people. He's not talking to the false prophets yet. That's coming up. So he presents his case to the folks. Two bulls cut in pieces, 
laid on wood, you call on your God to send down fire, and I'll call on Yahweh. Whichever one answers by fire, he's the true and living God. And the people respond, sounds good. We agree with that. Now he turns to the false prophets. Verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. Then verse 26, they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. There they are, limping again. And when I read this, I kind of thought, eh, nice try. It's like watching a, a lopsided football game. You know who's going to get stomped. And you kind of feel sorry for them. But not this time. Elijah's right into this. He, you know, as we say, he's got his game face on. And when you read the verses, these next verses, you might think, He's talking trash. That's really what he's doing. He just can't resist. So verse 27. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey Oh, perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. And they, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Throughout the Bible, there's various examples of sarcasm, and this is one of those. That's what you got here. Elijah knows Baal's not a real god, and he sarcastically presents four options as to why he's not responding. Maybe he's musing. Maybe he's thinking over the situation. Well, that tells us He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. Then he says he might be in the bathroom. And he can't hear you right now. He needs a bathroom break. So he's not divine. Maybe he's away on a trip and he can't hear you. So he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at once. Well, maybe he's sleeping. And you need to wake him up. He's just tuckered out. So he's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. 
<laughs> you know, it's like when you're in that contest and somebody is mocking you, what do you do? You try harder. And so that's what they do. They redouble their efforts. They cried louder. They cut themselves with swords and lances, blood spilling out all over them, and they continued to rant and rave. Self-mutilation is pretty common uh, in cultic religions, heathen religions, and they believe that uh, shedding blood was going to win them divine favor. Well, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. They're crying and cutting and raving from morning until about three in the afternoon. And they got the expected result. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. No one's listening. Why not? Ha, they're false gods. They don't really exist. You know, human religious effort makes people feel good about themselves. They think they're doing something for God. But it doesn't produce divine results. In order to get those results, you have to be in touch with the living God. Elijah was in touch. Now it's his turn. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. He put the wood in order, and he cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood, and he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And they said, he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Well, Elijah is gathering the crowd, and he says, you know, come over here. Come near to me. And really, I think what he's saying is, watch this. He takes 12 stones. He repairs the altar. God had said, Israel shall be your name. That's back in Genesis 32. When Jacob's name was changed to Israel, he was a supplanter. He was a trickster. He was a thief. And then he met God. And he was changed by the power of God, and he was given a new name, Israel. And that name means God contends 
God's on my side. Well, God's going to contend all right. Elijah wants them to experience God's amazing power. <laughs> so he sets up the offering, and then he douses it with water. One time, two times, three times he pours water all over it. Have you ever gathered wood for a fire, poured three buckets of water on it, and then you're going to light it? That's not the way it works. People would think you're crazy. But he's doing this for one reason and one reason only. This is going to be an act of Almighty God. This is not his deal. God's going to show himself. This is something only the Lord can do. And he wants the crowd to see the Lord at work in all his glory. The altar's repaired, the wood's been gathered, the sacrifice is ready, and then he prays. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know that you are Lord, that you are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. The Baal worshipers have had their shot. Now it's time for the Lord to show himself. It's time for action. When you're faced with a situation that only the Lord can solve, that's when you know where your faith is. You know, we love to figure things out. You know, I'm in a tough spot here. I've got to think about this. I've got to figure this out. But when you're in a situation that only the Lord can solve, that's when you know, am I really walking with the Lord or not? That's when it becomes evident. Is your faith real? If you've got God's word, you can be confident. The end of verse 36. I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. If you've got his word, you can be as bold as a lion. If he said it, you can trust it. So Elijah cries out to the Lord. And you can tell he's confident. You are God in Israel. Not this false king. Not this guy who's serving the Baals. And you know God's going to reveal himself. You know what happens. The Lord answers. Verses 38 and 39. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, 
the Lord. He is God. The Lord. He is God. It's hard to visualize this. Fire out of nowhere coming down. I mean, people who are standing too close, they probably lost their eyebrows. This is awesome power. If you can imagine standing around and fire comes down from heaven, the sacrifice is consumed, the wood, the stones, and the dust are instantly incinerated. And the water, it's vaporized. It's gone. God's power is unleashed. He's revealing himself as the one true God. And what happened? The people fell on their faces. That's what happens when God really reveals himself. If you've ever been in a situation where there's a revival-type situation, when it's real, the folks fall on their faces. They are devastated by the power of God. Well, they fell on their faces, and when the Lord reveals himself, that's what happens. That's going to be the response at the final judgment. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God. They cry out here, the Lord, he is God. Twice. The Lord, he is God. Two different words for that here. It's literally Jehovah. He is Elohim. Why those two names? He is the God of love, Elohim. He is the God of truth, Jehovah. Jehovah, he is Elohim. God is love. That's his being. God is truth. That's how his love acts. That's the expression of his love, truthfully. You know, parents have a an unchanging love for their children, right? In spite, in spite of their faults, in spite of their failings, you love them. That's the essence of love. But the expression of your love may change according to the circumstances. You want to operate truthfully. I still remember we went on a <clears throat> we went on a vacation and we had left a car out in front of our house and when we came back the car was moved it was down the street hmm our kids had been at home with an older couple who was supposedly looking after them the car had no oil in it it was dry as a bone. I called my son Aaron into the living room. 
And I said, son, I'm going to ask you one question. And the answer is not, I don't know. <laughs> I want to know, how did the car get from in front of the house, down the street, and it's sitting there with no oil? That was the truth. I wanted to know, what's the truth? I love him, but I want to know what happened here. And he coughed up. He told me the truth. Well, Dad, I took it for a ride. And it ran out of oil. <laughs> the expression of your love. If a child rebels, if they are deceitful, if they become unfaithful, the expression of your love may change. A good parent operates truthfully. So when there's been sinful behavior, you have to judge that. You have to discipline that. As painful as that might be, and there's times when love must be tough. God loves us. That's going to change because we're in a relationship with him you're his child but he desires us to walk righteously with him and when you do that intimate relationship that you have with the Lord thrives it's vital it's blessed these people reacted in the right way. Jehovah, he is Elohim. God is love, and God is truth. And we enjoy the fullness of his love when we walk in a righteous way. Elijah said, meet me on Mount Carmel. And they did. And the Lord revealed himself as he does. Let's pray. Father, this is an amazing event. Your presence revealed who you are in all your power. And the response of these people was what happens when you do reveal yourself. They fell on their faces and said, Jehovah, he's the real God. Oh, Father, we pray that as we go from day to day, we would be bold knowing that we would be confident knowing that you are with us, you are in us. We are your servants, and we can be bold in the name of the Lord. So I pray that that may be the case and that we would come back rejoicing, rejoicing in the Lord, not on what we've done. Oh, Father, help us. Help us to be free from ourselves and just to walk with you. So we thank you for this. We thank you for your word. Again, we thank you for this time. And as we come to communion, 
that we would evaluate ourselves before you and that we, we would enjoy communion together. So we thank you for this. And again, we just commit ourselves to you afresh in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.